So that kind of dynamic changing the way you worked with your customers was really sort of a tectonic shift in the market. The benefit of it is once you get somebody who really likes your product or service and they stay engaged with it, they will continue to renew it and buy more. And so it creates a really nice revenue stream, which has a lot more predictability and forecastability, and it's actually more resilient than like a traditional business. Welcome to Light Data Action, the podcast that's on a mission to help you discover new technology trends and tools and better understand how they affect the world around us. Light Data Action is sponsored and produced by Lumen Technologies, the platform for amazing things. I'm your host, Terry Barbonis, and in each episode, I'll speak with industry executives and thought leaders to discuss how these technologies change the way we do business, how they influence the fourth industrial revolution, and how you can stay ahead of the innovation. If you're ready, let's join the conversation. Hey, everybody. The term as a service is often described as a technology solution where all the layers beneath the offering in the technology stack is the responsibility of the service provider and pricing is metered or subscription-based. Think of Salesforce as one of the first software-as-a-service customer relationship management platforms, CRM, built from scratch in 1999. Or Amazon Web Services, first to market a modern infrastructure-as-a-service offering in 2006 that we now commonly refer to as cloud computing. Those initial as-a-service models combined with the rate of change in technology and the need for business to evolve more quickly than ever have spawned a revolution that is driving value and differentiation through rapid and continuous delivery models commonly called ZAS for anything as a service, or EAS, everything as a service. Now, my guest today just happens to be a subject matter expert in how these models are driving revenue acceleration and defining digital business. Kevin Dobbs is a managing director at Accenture and the everything as a service practice leader. In his role, he helps companies embrace new subscription business models to succeed in a constantly changing market. Kevin has held multiple C-suite positions in his career, and he's a sought-after industry thought leader and public speaker. Kevin, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Thanks, Terry. Great to participate today. Yeah, so everything as a service practice leader is kind of a neat title. Can, can you give the listeners a bit more detail on your role at Accenture and kind of what you do in this space? Yeah, actually, I have a lot of people go, everything is a service. What what does right. that mean? And I, I have a joke with a, another colleague of mine. I said, everything is a service means everything, which is, you know, we, we see business models all over the place right now. Everything from automotive to aerospace to, you know, oil and gas to healthcare, manufacturing. So... A few years ago, we kind of called it SaaS, and as you said, Salesforce was the one we all remember, but sure. you know, the models have really evolved since then. Yeah, exactly. So from that perspective, you talk about, I know you talk about generating value just in terms of being digital and, and so forth, predictability, forecastability, persistence, and so forth. Where does 
as a service fit in there? Why? How would you define it as at a top level, why it's important? And the fact that everything seems to be an as a service, uh, there's actually a, a good reasons for, for that, or I would hope there are good reasons for it. A lot of companies really back in the day were looking kind of sideways at Salesforce thinking, you know, why are you doing this? Because one of the big value propositions was here, you can try it. If you like it, then you can buy it. Right. right. And that was sort of a new a new way of kind of interacting with customers. It was also a new way of kind of delivering products to market. So what was interesting about that is it sort of signaled that these as a service models, Terry, are much more what I would say customer centric. So it's less about building all the features you could ever want and right. more about, you know, what specifically do you need and what can I get to you quickly? And, you know, paying over time and having this idea that I better make sure that you like what I'm providing to you because you're not going to renew the subscription, put some pressure on the provider to make sure that, you know, the product or service that I'm giving you is something that you're going to renew. Cause if you don't renew, I won't make any money. So, sure. So that kind of dynamic changing the way you worked with your customers was really sort of a tectonic shift in the market. The benefit of it is once you get somebody who really likes your product or service and they stay engaged with it, they will continue to renew it and buy more. And so it creates a really nice revenue stream, which has a lot more predictability and forecastability, and it's actually more resilient than like a traditional business. Are there situations that you see with everything being as a service where companies are calling things as a service that you would look at and say, well, maybe kind of, sort of? For example, if it's really just a a digital transaction versus as a service. Now, I know that as a service, I mentioned it in the opening, you typically need, it's a subscription-based or some type of metered pricing model. Um, but are there other dynamics that you see in, in, in an environment where, as you said earlier, everything seems to be going as a service? Well, we used to refer to this as <laughs> fake SaaS. We don't, sure. we don't say that often, but I mean, it's uh, a lot of times that you'll see companies doing is maybe the first step in a business transformation might be fake SaaS, but it's, it's really this idea that we can put a wrapper around the service that we're offering and make it appear as if it's SaaS. The problem with that is over time, it's hard to scale just because usually fake SaaS means I'm going to add more people. And a lot of companies, what they would do is offshore a lot of the people you'd interact with to make the costs work out. But even then, that might work for hundreds or maybe a thousand customers. But if you're Netflix or Microsoft or you know a big company who's got millions of customers, you can't fake SaaS. You've got to build it from the ground right. up the right way. Right. And and I've heard you say when you're talking about as a service and and generating value. I've heard you talk about the importance of disruption to generate value. Um, obviously, if you're trying to, if as a service becomes the way you are now going to go to market to differentiate within a particular product or industry, um, are there other things? Uh, where does the, where does the importance of disruption come in in generating value that would lead 
uh, an organization to say, you know what, we'd be better off if we turn this in from sort of these single transactions to as a service and put a subscription in front of it versus the way that we're currently doing it. Well, and I think we were talking about it before in the automotive industry. There, there are companies right now who are thinking in terms of not only I, I want you to buy the car, I, I'd like you to pay for it as a subscription. Right. And, and it makes it easier for my company to provide additional services and products on top of that that I can layer in. And it, it creates a really nice annuity stream. And for a lot of companies, it makes it easier for the customers to, you know, try it. If I like it, I'll buy it. Um, whether it's satellite radio, maybe it's, you know, some sort of uh, emergency response system. It could be all sorts of different things. Maybe I want to get a detailing as a service so I can bring my car right. in and have it kind of cleaned and detailed once every three months. Who knows? I could use that, actually, now that I think about it. But, um, you know, it's where companies are really trying to create much more of an intimate relationship with their customers these kind of models really work well because it allows you to kind of also experiment. We can try, let's try a detailing as a service and see if that works. We'll run it for six months. And if we see a nice little uptake on it, maybe we'll add more into that service or we'll just say, no, that didn't work. And we'll tear that down and try another one. Right. And, and it seems like depending on what the service or the subscription that you're buying into, organizations also have the ability to say, Hey, if you pay for this subscription on a monthly basis, Here's what the price is every month. But if you pay for it on an annual basis where where we can discount it if you look at it monthly, then that's another way that they seem to be able to offer more options and, and still be able to offer the service and give the users more options as to why they should engage with them, right? Right. Well, the other thing that is advantage for companies offering this, I think until recently, the stock market, if you were a SaaS company or an as a service company, you know, the multiple of your revenue streams was a lot higher than if you offered, to your point, a single transaction. Right. Wall Street really liked the fact that, it, I'll go back to what you said before, the predictability, the forecastability, the resilience of the revenue streams, that was much more valuable. And the idea that if I sold a dollar of recurring revenue, I, I could get maybe six to 10 times value for that versus if I sold a dollar of, let's say, regular transactions, I'd only get one or two times value. So it's, I always say to people, would you rather for a dollar get $6 or $2? And I think a hundred out of a hundred would say, I'd rather have the $6. So that drove a lot of companies to kind of look at this model much more uh, aggressively over the last few years. Right. Uh, by the way, we, since we have almost competing terms, the Zaz or as a service, and now the EAS, everything as a service, do you make any, are there any distinctions between the two or is it just the evolution of as a service to something more encompassing? I think they both mean the same thing. It just depends on what your preference is. So if you right. like everything as a service versus, you know, what we call X as a service, you know, up to you. So going back to everything as a service, if you look at sort of the business model is you have these platform companies, we mentioned Amazon, right, where people are building those services on top of that platform. And then you have various service providers, for example, in any type of 
uh, e-commerce business, you have kind of the servicers like PayPal, Stripe, Square. If I want to start an online and as a service to sell my Neapolitan pizzas, for example, right. I can use somebody like Stripe or Square on the back end of my website as a just the credit card part of the as a service, and I can use something else in my front end. How do you look at sort of these platform firms versus the services versus everybody else in terms of uh, their role and the differences in business models when we talk about everything as a service? I, I think what is what is the unique value that your company is going to provide? And probably credit card processing isn't going to be something that you would want to build from scratch. Right. Um, maybe your business, Terry, is going to be you know, the sauce of your pizza is really kind of what you want to focus on, not so much how you're doing the processing. Maybe you don't build websites and do HTML on the side, so you may want to use kind of another, you know, provider around that. Um, what was interesting is we, on one of my podcast episodes, I had somebody from Goldman Sachs come in and talk to us about kind of what's core to your business and what should you really be focusing on? What it, what delivers that unusual value to the market? And you need to strip away everything else and outsource it. So maybe you use all these other providers. He, he said like Mike, uh, McDonald's, they don't do anything other than brand. They outsource everything, the food, the franchise, the service, everything. And right. it's the brand that is unique to them. But we find, you know, a lot of SaaS companies will have an ecosystem of partners that they work with. So, you know, they figure out what they do really, really well and outsource everything else to other. And then what they'll do is use those SaaS providers as kind of the underpinning of their platform. So up and down sort of the supply chain, you basically have a series of as a service that pull together to create an overall offering. In my case, it was pizza, McDonald's, hamburgers, and so forth. Everything that we seem to talk about today, especially from not just technology, but process and, and everything in between, there, there's a big milestone that we now kind of permanently have in our, in our history books where we talk about before 2020 and after 2020 and all the challenges. Right. Where now with technology in general, you often hear you know analysts and, and other um, you know, technologists talk about that, you know, everything we went through in 2020, we didn't necessarily invent new technology, but it certainly accelerated the technology that we had. For example, we already had WebEx and Teams and other things, but all of a sudden it went to the forefront, in some cases accelerated by a number of years, depending on what you're talking about. Where, where, do you, where does the as a service, whether it's Zaz or everything as a service and everything in between, where where were the effects of that from the perspective of 2020? I would think that given that everything went online, that all of a sudden we had a, a, a huge uptick in things that maybe weren't as a service now being as a service, but there, was there anything more profound or anything that maybe didn't get noticed if you were just casually looking as opposed to the work that you do on a daily basis? Where, where 2020 for everything as a service also became a huge milestone? Most companies, you know, because you couldn't physically be together. So think, think about all the times we go out and do anything in society, but like even go, I want to go look at a car. I go to a showroom. Can't do that anymore. Sorry, we're closed. 
but you noticed all of a sudden there were virtual car, you know, showrooms. You could go right. look and, you know, using technology, you can have a 360 degree experience. You could even go drive the car and see what that kind of simulate what that experience was like. We also looked at companies who really did embrace kind of multiple types of commerce. So somebody like Target, you know, did really well during the pandemic because they had, you know, you could buy it online, you could have somebody deliver it to your house, I could drive up front, you could put it in the back of my trunk, you know, there were multiple ways to interact and you made it easy for the consumer to buy from you. And they did well during the, you know, during the pandemic. I, I wrote a blog, I think I, we talked about a little bit. Uh, one of the major, uh, it's not fast food, they probably get mad at me if I said fast food, <laughs> but you know, whatever it's called. Right. They sold over a billion dollars worth of burritos digitally, you yeah. know, and we called it the digital burrito. But, you know, in all seriousness, I mean, they had a very good e-commerce, you know, plan in place. They had a good platform in place and they made it very easy for the consumer to actually go. I can't go into your restaurant, but you make it easy for me to order online and have it delivered or have, you know, drive up. And. It's that sort of ingenuity, taking a lot of these as a service type capabilities or these, you know, online or digital capabilities and kind of incorporating it into your business. You may not completely change what you're doing, but what you're doing is maybe you're putting a digital wrapper around your business to make you more competitive or, you know, more customer friendly. Are there, we talked about food Actually, I think those are the only use cases we've used so far. But if you look at it from a from a vertical industry perspective, is everything as a service more disruptive in some verticals from your perspective, your research than than others? Yeah, I think for like manufacturing, maybe heavy manufacturing, probably not as much. But let's pick a different one than food, right? Uh, right. How about healthcare? Right. You, know, you think about during the pandemic, all of a sudden I couldn't go see my doctor. So telehealth really took off. And so we we saw, you know, obviously there was digitization of all your patient records over the last 10 years. But that really helped kind of launch telemedicine, you know, in a, in a major way, way more than it was before. Just about every business has kind of a digital component. And, you know, the new thing now is the metasphere and what, what we're doing around that. And, you know, you can have kind of a virtual experience. You never even need to go into a store anymore. Although right. I would argue <laughs> maybe that's not the case yet. But, um, you know, I think that it, it really launched a lot of really creative ideas that companies took from maybe experimenting to actually incorporating into their core business. Yeah, it's funny you talk about telemedicine. I mean, that's, uh, you know, when we talk about the types of things that were really accelerated in 2020, I read an analyst report, I think it was last year, that said out of out of everyone that did some form of telemedicine in 2020 and 2021, 80% of them were newcomers mm -hmm. actually using that. And so, and now it seems like it's you know, a lot of things that we maybe kind of sort of did casually that forced experiment, as I call it, that right. we all went through worked beyond our expectations. And so I think that's a, that's an interesting dynamic. And then I think the automotive industry, I mean, the one that always comes to mind, and you and I have chatted about this before, and I'm sure everybody's seen it in the news is what kind of Tesla has done, right. not just to sort of kickstart, I think 
the um, electric vehicle, the EV market. But this idea that if you ever go to their website to purchase a Tesla, you're purchasing a, a piece of hardware, and then you're purchasing you know things like the full self-driving, which is a subscription model, right? Right. That they that they can add to. And if you look at it, the software, and if you listen to some of the comments that Musk has made, the software is where Tesla sees the huge differentiator. They don't see it as developing a car with, you know, two doors or four doors and four tires and so forth. It's the software because of everything that's needed to to train it and so forth. So I think that's that's interesting. Yeah, another thing that I saw about Tesla that was interesting is when you think about buying a piece of hardware, it depreciates over time. So usually three year, three to five years, you depreciate it. Right. But with Tesla, the fact that the software is always updated and upgraded, you know, it's actually your asset appreciates over time. It doesn't depreciate. So it, it sort of turned the whole model on its head. And I think what you're saying now all, all the other car manufacturers are kind of following that model now with their newest models is, you know, there's a onboard computer, you have a lot of software that runs the, the car that manages performance, your experience, and you just have an over-air update and, you know, boom, your car is going to have kind of a new look and feel and, you know, be upgraded over time and be a better experience. You know, one of the other things that you often think about with anything as a as a service is if you look at things like digital transformation or even cloud and i've done podcasts on this both of those digital transformation and cloud we've been talking about a long time companies have been you know working on transforming we've been trying to move to the cloud and yet in both of those instances if you look at how many people have migrated the costs how many people have transformed we're still not the greatest at it, if you look at how long we've been doing it and so forth. Right. If you look at as a service or everything as a service, and you look at how many people, how many organizations have jumped into doing it, is there a right way and a wrong way to do it? I, I think it depends where you start, you know, for a lot of companies. So if you're already a certain type of company, you've been around for 30 years and you want to jump into it, you know, we... It's hard to kind of transform your whole organization. So to your point, Terry, it's you're probably not seeing a lot of 100-year-old companies. Um, we did a lot of work with GE back in the day. And, you know, that, that's hard to transform them into like a SaaS company, although right. they tried. Right. Um, but I, I think a lot of companies are either looking at it in three ways. It's either I'm going to start a new business that's on the side that's kind of under the umbrella of the company, but it's going to operate almost like an independent firm and operate in a different way. Or it's going to be a business unit inside your company, or you're going to completely transform. And the completely transform version is the hardest one to do. You know, the one that's like a satellite of your company is probably the easiest one and the business unit is probably in the middle. So, um, you know, there, there are a lot of companies who've made pretty significant strides and kind of changing the way they do things. But, you know, any, any big, big scale transformation is hard to do. Right. And when you talk about transformation, I've, I've heard you talk about hope projects. How do they relate to as a service? Is hope project 
you know, sort of a, a transformational project that a company would engage in to kind of improve all the things that we talk about, the revenue and so forth. And it happens to be that the project revolves around as a service. What does that look like? So, yeah, we, we in one of my podcasts, talking to Goldman Sachs, uh, the head of research for Goldman Sachs, he, he commented about how he hates hope projects, which is basically <laughs> what he was talking about was CEOs who get really excited about something and bet, bet the company on trying to do a moonshot. And if it doesn't work, all the money goes down, down the drain. So he didn't like hope projects. But, you know, you look at a company like Google, they're doing all sorts of what they call moonshot kind of projects, whether it's healthcare or landing on Mars or, you know, whatever they're doing. And, um, you know, they've got the money to fund that. But we, what he was referring to was if you've got these projects, it's okay to experiment, but not all your experiments are going to work. You know, you sure. should understand that there's a certain amount of investment that you put into it and you try and run it to the best of your ability. But if it doesn't work, you know, it's okay. You learn something from it and you shut it down and then you try something else. And I think Wall Street, one of the things that they look at is companies who, as you were talking about, do the transformation. What they don't want to see is a 20 year transformation where all your money is going into the hope project versus, right. you know, maybe I'm trying eight different little projects and two of the eight turn out to be successful. The other six, not so much, but I'm only really putting my investment into the ones that are working. Right. When we've had this, you know, everything as a service conversation, we talked about, for example, you know, smart appliances, for example, like I have, uh, I have an LG refrigerator. It can tell me when I need a new filter and it can also order one for me. Right. Now, now normally, uh, you know, a lot of people may go to an Amazon, but now you're starting to see, uh, and it's not just starting, but we're seeing more and more of it. All these smart appliances, whether it's Samsung, LG, and so forth, where there are, you know, parts, things like filters that you have to purchase and update on a regular basis, they're creating their own as a service, their own revenue stream so that when they sell you something and they say, hey, this warranty is 10 years, you shouldn't have to buy another one in 10 years. They're not losing that customer and having to wait 10 years. They're creating an additional revenue stream. Um, it, it, when With companies that you see really embrace how to take their model apart, put it back together as a set of um, you know, everything as a service revenue streams, do you see clear advantages from a, from a growth perspective, a revenue perspective, and so forth? Yeah, it's it's interesting. If you look at traditional models, what you're describing, kind of the after after purchase support or right. just support in general, right? Kind of in the in the old world, if you were in support, you were kind of at the bottom of the totem pole. Nobody, right. you know, it's, oh, you're in support. Oh, who wants to be in support? You know, in the new world, it's like wow. They've changed the name. It's not support anymore. It's customer success. And so now, you know, it's creating uh, an excellent buyer, buyer experience. So part of that is, and we haven't talked about this, but I think it's this data-driven approach to how you work with your clients. So to your point, your LG sends off a signal and goes, boom, you know, time for a new filter. And I'm going to send a note back to HQ and then I'm going to have somebody in the customer success department either send you an email 
or pick up the phone and sometimes even call you depending on what the what the purchase was and check on you see how it's going and you know not only send you out a new filter but maybe i should come out and have a technician come out and do a full diagnostic check and make sure right. that this is okay and what ends up happening is you go from reactive in the old days it's like oh my refrigerator broke oh i got to call the 800 number and get somebody out here now all of a sudden these smart appliances are going maybe i should be proactive and you know, do things that, you know, would delight the customer, go out there and fix the problem before the the uh, device goes down. And, oh, by the way, while I'm out there, maybe I could sell you a few more things. Right. So it creates, you know, additional revenue opportunities. We talked about your infrastructure as a service, software as a service, their security as a service, and your digital burrito as a service. Right. Have you seen any as a service um, offerings that you thought, wow, that's something I wouldn't think would work as a service, but it does anything that most people wouldn't, wouldn't say that's as a service or is it kind of all over the place? No, I've, I mean, we worked with one aircraft manufacturer who was trying to, you know, create planes as a service and, you know, flight systems and training and, um, there was another company we worked with that, you know, I, I think I mentioned to you offline about weather as a service. You know, the idea that you know, providing very specific, you know, weather data was really useful to uh, certain types of companies. So I think I see all sorts of different ones. Now, the question is not all of them are going to be successful, but, right. you know, I think that the idea that, you can deliver whatever you're doing in more of a data-driven way. Um, a lot of companies had what they used to call data exhaust. You know, they gather lots and lots of data about customers and transactions and what they were doing. Right. A lot of smart companies are taking that, that data exhaust and thinking about, you know, what could we do that could create a new revenue stream or a new set of products or services that could use this information in a way that could benefit the customers that might be something useful to them. And, you know, I, I think people are using a lot. I think a lot of what telehealth is and a lot of things in the healthcare arena, you know, there's a lot of opportunities there to create all sorts of different products and services. One of the other things that I've seen in in terms of just the general conversation about, you know, as a service is this idea that, you know, on one hand, as a service really extends, you know, the service oriented architectures that a lot of companies are using today. And others have said it's just another chargeback method. Is the answer somewhere in between or have we... Have we started with something like service-oriented architecture and it became too easy as just a better chargeback mechanism? So I think chargeback mechanism would be associated with fake SaaS. They're not right. really getting the real value out of it. But right. yeah, I think this service-oriented architecture has sort of morphed into APIs and you know using other data sources to create products and services. It's interesting, a lot of like financial services are using feeds from all sorts of different places to not only, you know, help you with your trading platforms, but, you know, can create new financial vehicles for you. Again, uh, a lot of clients that we look at, there was one where 
they were shipping containers and they wanted to create a chip that could basically sit on a container, a frozen container. Let's say you're shipping COVID vaccines somewhere. Right. And the chip would actually take feeds from, you know, weather data, you know, sensor data, third party, you know, data from all sorts of different things and basically allow you in a control room to monitor all your different shipments all over the world, make sure that the temperature was right, that, you know, the container wasn't upside down, you know, all sorts of other things. Or if it was heading into a, a hurricane, you could monitor all those things. So that wasn't really possible before if you weren't using one of these kind of new modern architectures where you're pulling all the data together. So again, I think there's a lot of opportunity to create you know, next generation types as a service models. You know, I mentioned security as a service earlier. When we talk about things, cloud, edge, any anything that has taken applications outside of the four walls of an organization or a traditional data center, sometimes you get a lot of concerns, right? We had a lot of companies, especially in the early days of cloud, say, I'm not going to put anything in the cloud because right. I don't know how to secure it. Is um, are, are companies, whether or not if they don't currently have as a service, or even if they do, how much do you hear security as a concern and now extending that out to, you know, as another, as another mechanism for how they interact with their customers? I mean, security is always a concern, you know, it always has been, always will be. But I, I think in the early days, it was more about uh, offering kind of a service level agreement, you know, I, I'm going to make sure that my infrastructure, my applications up and performant. And, you know, a lot of SaaS companies, interestingly, had a higher level of security than even like their customers in a lot of cases, right. because again, they were having to sign pretty restrictive security contracts in order to get these customers on there. But yeah, I think over time what's happened is everybody's still concerned about security, but you're seeing more and more think about CrowdStrike, Palo Alto Networks, you know, a lot of the big companies right now, they're offering their security products as a service. So, you know, it's the cloud, you should always be, you know, aware of security risks and put systems and processes in place to manage it. But I think Companies today are a lot more comfortable with the cloud than they were, let's say, 10 years ago. But, you know, you still worry when it goes out your side of your four walls, you know, anything can happen sometimes. So you got to just do the best you can to secure it. If you were to grade sort of the current state of as a service today across industries, everything that you've seen, how do you think we're doing based on all of the, you know, the expectations years ago about, wow, wouldn't it be neat if we created a service for this? Are we an A student? We're really on the ball? Or are we still, you know, maybe a B minus? We're doing good. We're doing very well. But we still have some, some things to learn to be able to improve. How would you rate us, if you will? And by us, I just mean everybody doing as a service today. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, um, Bessemer Ventures comes out every year with kind of their cloud index. And right. um, I, they have kind of a way of referencing companies that are over a, a billion dollars in valuation. We call them unicorns. They, they've right. got centaurs, which are the $100 million 
right. you know, companies. And today there are over a hundred of those. And so I remember back in the old days where there might've been three. So, you know, there are a lot. So I think when you think about hardware companies and software companies, we're probably, you know, solid B plus, you know, I think doing a lot of really innovative things where I think you're going to see the next wave of these models is really manufacturing, retail, healthcare, transportation, automotive is definitely one. I think those are all anywhere from maybe D to C at this point. We see lots of interest. Let's put it this way. There is no shortage of companies trying to do new things. So maybe they're their hope projects that, you know, they're putting out there right now. But exactly, you know, I, I think a couple of people will get it right. And then everybody will go, OK, Terry, he got it right with his, you know, pizza online, you know, service. I'm going to copy him. But I think that's the way the customers want to buy it. So I, I think in the end, you've got to anchor yourself on what they want to buy in a way that they want to buy and have an experience that they're comfortable with. And it seems like as a service is kind of where customers would like to be. Any predictions in the next three to five years? Do you see more of the same? I mean, you mentioned things like metaverse, which obviously sort of has a tentacle in everything that we do in the, in the physical world um, and the digital world, kind of bringing all that together. Do you see anything major happening in the space in terms of what as a service evolves into? I think it's interesting. Metaverse sounds like everything and nothing at the same time. But even at our company, what's interesting in the last two years during the pandemic, three years, we onboarded over 200,000 employees in a completely virtual metaverse training environment, all our new hires. So that shows you, hey, that's interesting. That's at scale. That's something we haven't seen before. So um, I think that that's interesting. I think that, you know, again, the automotive piece is really starting to gain some traction. So we should kind of keep an eye out there. But there's no shortage of these ideas. And, and I think, as I mentioned, Bessemer's got 100 companies who are already at $100 million of revenue and doing all sorts of different things. So I, I think what we'll see is as more and more data is available and computing power just continues to increase, you're going to see all sorts of things that we didn't even think were possible even a few years from now. Sure. Do you have an as-a-service product or service that you'd like to see turned into an as-a-service offering that you think to yourself, well, that would be neat, but it probably won't won't happen, or maybe it will, but just curious if there's any pet as a service. My pet projects. Um, yeah, exactly. I like the idea of being able to buy a, a plane ticket, you know, have an as a service plane ticket where I could go anywhere. You know, I, I would like that. <laughs> I, I haven't seen that one yet, Terry. Um, right, exactly. Uh, that would be good. You know, and I, I think we're there's a new company out there right now offering kind of vacation as a service. So you can, you know, for $2,000 a month, you can go stay anywhere in the world, you know, in one of their, you know, locations. So I'm, I'm still going to gravitate back to the travel anywhere for, you know, a certain amount every month. And I would advocate $200 a month anywhere in the world. That's what I'm looking for. I love it. If you're in the travel industry and you're listening. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. Kevin, thank you so much for your time today. I, I look forward to chatting with you again 
see what we're rolling into as a service. We've already got the burritos. We've covered the pizza. I think we've pretty much covered all the food groups, but I'd love to have you on the show again in the future. But thank you again for taking the time to speak with me today. Yeah, Terry, great as always. And yes, I'm looking forward to your pizza as a service. (laughs) Aren't we all? Take care. Thanks for joining another episode of Light Data Action. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows. You can also follow us on Twitter at Light Data Action. And for more Lumen news, at Lumen Tech Co. As always, we'd love to get your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like to hear on the show. And I hope you'll join us next time for another conversation.